Well, we have been doing a series over the summer. How many of you have been coming weekly for the Voices series? Yeah, it's been great, right? Different speakers have come and, and, um, and shared their message. And so we've continued that through the summer. But tonight, we have our own Eric Bryant with us tonight. Exciting, right? Yeah, I can tell. So excited. <laughs> and so, yeah, so to lead it in, I want you guys... To stand up and give a round of applause for our own Eric Bryan. Wow. That is the best version of being mocked I've ever heard in my life. Yes, Charlie Brown is my annual Halloween costume. Well, it is so great to be back. A team of us went to Israel, and we went on a journey to serve others and to grow in our faith. And I want to introduce you to our team, because they represented you so well. Here's a picture of Sonia, Krista, Noel, Dario, and that's me wearing my Zocalo shirt. And uh, no, the trip was not sponsored by Zocalo. I just love that shirt. But it was an amazing experience, and this team represented you so well. They did not complain, whether it was the 24 hours, one way to get there, all the stops in between, or serving in the heat, or seeing all the spots throughout the day. It was just a remarkable team, and, and they did such a great job. But if you've ever traveled internationally, you might resonate with this quote from Mark Twain. He said this, Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. And our minds were open, our hearts were open for a people we had never met. It was an amazing experience in part because we were able to walk in places where Jesus walked. And the story of Jesus is the greatest story ever told. The story of a hero who was willing to sacrifice everything for all of us, and yet death did not hold him down. Now, what's fascinating about the story of Jesus is it's a story that's retold over and over in our literature, in the Western world, that story of a hero who finds himself when dying to himself is repeated. It's a cultural theme, and, and, and maybe you are well-read and know some of the stories of literature that reference the story of Jesus. Or maybe you're more like me and you know more the film versions of the story of Jesus that's being told and retold. Stories like The Matrix or Harry Potter or even Iron Man and the Avengers or Superman or Wonder Woman or Spider-Man. These are all stories where the hero has to die, has to sacrifice, and that's how they truly live. Now, the difference is you can't visit the Matrix, Krypton, Amazonia, Hogwarts, or even Asgard, but you can visit Bethlehem, Galilee, Nazareth, and Jerusalem. See, Jesus is not a myth or a legend, a real person who can transform your life. I'll post notes from our experience, but I was amazed at some of the scholars, secular scholars who authenticate that Jesus was a real person who lived a real life. And the greatest proof of that 
powerful life is in the transformations that you can see from generation to generation. And so there's certain thoughts from our journey I wanted to share with you because I think it could help you on your spiritual journey as well. And one is matters of faith are deeply personal. Now, throughout the world, there is a worldwide religion known as Christianity. And for many, Christianity is an identity, but it's not necessarily a way of life. In other words, there are many people who claim to be Christians, but they identify that way because that's how they were raised or that's how their parents would describe them. That might even be you. There was a phrase that I heard in the Middle East I had not heard before. It's this idea of being an ethnic Christian. I was born a Christian. But it doesn't verify a genuine relationship with Jesus. It's more of a nationality. It's more representative of politics. And frankly, that may be why some of us are struggling to even trust in God. Because we've seen a lot of terrible things done in the name of Christianity. It's not Jesus we have a problem with, it's his followers. And what I want to press in to you and encourage you with is consider, are you simply just a Christian because you're not a Muslim or a Buddhist? Or are you someone who truly follows after Jesus? It's not about the religion, it's about a relationship. See, Jesus didn't come to start a religion something far more satisfying and transformative. He came to establish a relationship between humanity and God that each one of us can experience. Now, this may seem far-fetched or even presumptuous or preposterous, but there was a very religious person named Paul who had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. In fact, it so transformed him, he went from someone who was persecuting people of faith to a person who was persecuted because of his faith in Jesus. He started many churches throughout the known world, and then he would write letters back to them. And one of these letters, or in one of these places he was at, was in Athens. And there was a very spiritual group of people. And he tried to describe to them the, the God of the scriptures. He described to them who Jesus is. And listen to see if this might be different than then what do you think of when you think of the religion of Christianity? Listen to this in Acts 17. Paul said this to the people of Athens. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Think about this message that Paul is sharing. See, most gods that we think of, the gods of religions of this world, demand things of us. But the creator of the universe does not live in temples, he's not held hostage in our buildings, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. In fact, he is actually pursuing you and me. In fact, what Jesus came to do was to bridge the gap so that we might all know God. 
And listen to this. It's so fascinating. It says right here in the scriptures that every single person ever born on planet Earth is actually born in the exact time in history and place on this planet that gives them the best opportunity to find God. And that includes you. The family into which you were born, the, the place on this planet, this time in history is the optimum moment for you to discover the loving God who created you and has a plan for your life. See, but what this requires is it means that none of us can live vicariously, spiritually, through other people. We can't live on the fumes of our grandparents' faith. Each of us has to decide for ourselves, will we be adopted by our Heavenly Father? Because each of us has the opportunity to discover a meaningful, real relationship with God. Faith is a deeply personal matter. Each of us has to decide what are we going to do with this idea that God is pursuing us and loves us and wants a relationship with us. All it requires is our willingness to say, yes, I accept, I need forgiveness, I need you. There was a moment on our trip where I had a chance to be in a place where Jesus walked. It's the Sea of Galilee. There's a picture of me in the Sea of Galilee. Here I am, a long time ago in Galilee, far, far away. Actually, it was just a couple weeks ago. My friend Dario took this picture. But maybe you know the story of Peter. It was on this beach where Peter was fishing. And Jesus saw him. This is in Luke chapter 5. And, and encouraged him to throw his net on the other side of the boat because he had not caught many fish. And when he did, he caught a lot of fish. And it was on that beach that Jesus said to Peter and to Simon and later to James and John, other fishermen, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He invited them to drop everything and to be a part of transforming the lives of people. And we know it was in this place because this Beach is where the fishermen go. See, it's right by this place called the Seven Springs. And so those seven springs right by this part of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, brings in a warmer current. And so algae forms on the bottom and fish like to eat algae. And the shape of the harbor makes it incredibly convenient for fishermen. And they've been fishing there for thousands of years. They can get in and fish right there. And so on this beach, Jesus invited Peter to follow him, and he did. If you know the story of Peter, he was incredibly excited. In fact, sometimes he would get so excited, he would speak before he would think. That's what I love about Peter. In fact, it was on this lake, the Sea of Galilee, as we know it, that actually Peter got out and walked on water. When we were there, I saw people in jet skis. And skiing, I thought, how fun would that be to sort of walk on water? We were in a big boat with, with a bunch of tourists. But it was this amazing moment to realize it was in this exact same place that even Peter, with all of his excitement, if you know the rest of the story, eventually when Jesus is arrested, betrayed by Judas, facing the possibility of death, Peter was recognized. And someone even said, hey, aren't you the one that had been traveling with Jesus? And he denied he even knew who Jesus was. And it happened again, and this time he cursed 
and said, I don't know what you're talking about. It happened a third time. Three times Peter denied Jesus. This man, the first to ever acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the first one to say, you're not just a prophet, not just a good teacher, not just a healer. You are the anointed one, the son of God, the Messiah here to rescue us. And yet, when his life was in danger, he denied Jesus. But if you know the rest of the story, Jesus did die on that cross, taking on himself the punishment all of humanity deserves. And yet, in his death, he was not stuck in that tomb. He rose from the dead. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he showed up. He appeared in front of hundreds of people. In fact, there are 500 eyewitnesses that were alive when John, one of those eyewitnesses, wrote about it. People could verify that they had seen Jesus alive after the cross. And in one of those moments, he showed up on that beach, that same beach. And guess who was out in the boat? Peter, the fisherman, doing what fishermen do. He was fishing again. And Jesus walked up. He didn't recognize Jesus at first. And Jesus did the exact same thing he did in Luke 5. At the end of his time with Peter, in John chapter 21, he says to Peter, why don't you throw your net in the other side? Now, Peter's an expert fisherman and didn't think it was necessary. He'd been trying, but he did it anyway. Before we're too hard on Peter, I think we do that a lot too. We see ourselves as the expert of our own lives, not willing to listen even to the one who created us, the one who sees things we do not see. But even still, he throws his net in and brings out way more fish. And with one of those fish, Jesus prepared a meal with Peter. And some say it was on that very rock where they shared this meal. And during that meal, Jesus looked at Peter and asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. Then Jesus said, well, then go and feed my sheep. And then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, of course I love you. Then go and feed my lambs. And a third time, Jesus asked him during the course of that meal, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus, of course I love you. Then go and feed my sheep. Why did Jesus ask him the same question three times? Is it because he forgot? He didn't believe Peter? I think it's because he was giving him a chance to affirm his love just as he had denied even knowing him. He affirmed his love three times, restoring him back to his calling, even though he had denied three times, even knowing who Jesus was. Maybe you're a lot like Peter. Maybe there are times in your life you don't feel like God could love you or has something for you because there have been times where you've denied him, either in word or in deed. I'm here to tell you that faith is a deeply personal matter and God is a God of multiple chances. I love that Jesus gave him the exact same experience at the beginning of his time with him and at the end of his time with him. By the way, Peter goes on, not only restored to ministry, becoming one of the leaders of the church, and eventually he was persecuted to the point where they were going to crucify Peter, but he said, according to tradition, I don't deserve to be killed in the same way my Lord was killed. And so they crucified him upside down. It was in this place, this, this beach, which is covered in 
volcanic rocks, little rocks. In fact, the volcano blew up years before Jesus was ever there. And I looked around when I was on this beach and I did not see a sign that says, do not pick up the rocks. And so I did. <laughs> you can guess what my extended family is getting for Christmas. Rocks on which Jesus walked on that beach. I wonder, how has God been pursuing you? Who is it that he's brought into your life that keeps reminding you that God loves you, that God has a plan for your life, that it's not too late, that there are multiple opportunities to connect with him? It's not an accident you're in this place. It's not an accident that God has brought you into your life. Have you come to realize that other people and their bad actions should not be an excuse for us not to trust God. See, so much has done, been done poorly in the name of Christianity. We shouldn't let that keep us from the true God who loves us, who wants a relationship with us. Which leads to the second thing I learned on our trip, or rediscovered. Spiritual growth requires discipline. On this trip, I mean, I, I knew for months I was headed there and I had all these plans to read certain books and even parts of the scripture to, to know better the stories. And, and when we got there, we got all the way there and of course, jet lag and sleeping on the planes, everything was out of whack. And so the first night I went to bed and an hour and a half later, I was wide awake. It's one o'clock in the morning. Nothing was planned until about nine. I had eight hours and I thought I would just check and see how the Dodgers did. Three hours later on ESPN.com, I could tell you every statistic and everything, even about the second baseman for the Dodgers. And I realized all of a sudden, here I am, literally feet away from the Sea of Galilee, reading about the Dodgers instead of about Jesus. And I do that all the time. What about you? See, distractions keep us from experiencing all that God has for us. He is trying to speak. The problem is we're not listening. And there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. Let me give you an example. We had a chance to go to Jerusalem. And I have a little video I want to show you of our view from the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. Let's watch. So you can see that's the Al-Aqsa Mosque. That's the Dome of the Rock, both built in spots where the temple used to be, built by Muslims. That's the wall of Jerusalem and you can see down the slope, these little churches mark spots where Jesus prayed. Sorry if you're getting dizzy. I'm not a cinematographer. I'm going to pan in here in a moment. And that's uh, the church of the Holy Sepulcher, built over Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, and over the tomb where he rose from the dead. And it's interesting because it's a giant church. And covering over those sacred spots are shrines. So you actually can't see anything. They protected those spots from the pilgrims so that we couldn't touch them and ruin them. But I want you to see how close everything is. From the Mount of Olives, you can see this cemetery. And let me just show you a picture of the Mount of Olives before you get dizzy, motion sick, watching my video. Let me show you a picture of the Mount of Olives, those little olive trees. He was in the Mount of Olives there where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And then on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when everything was about to go down, he had told Peter, Peter, be careful or you're going to deny me. On that same night, he went to pray and he invited Peter and a couple of others to pray with him. He said, just stay up with me and pray. And so they went, just walked down the hill from the Mount of Olives down to the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to show you that picture as well. These olive trees some say are 2,000 years old. These could have been the very trees where Jesus prayed. 
you can see how thick they are because olive trees just keep expanding with their saplings. If not the exact trees, then the saplings of the trees. And it was in this garden that Jesus prayed with such intensity that he sweat drops of blood. And his prayer was this, not my will, but yours be done. If there's no other way to rescue humanity, I will face the cross. And then Jesus went over to those men he'd taught to pray in the Mount of Olives and he found them asleep. As I sat in the Garden of Gethsemane, I realized I'm a lot like those disciples, missing what he has for me too often because I'm asleep. What about you? What if we developed uh, an intentionality that we could hear the voice of God, that we could step into moments when he calls us because we're ready, that we've developed the ears to hear because we, we spend time in prayer, we spend time in the scriptures, we, we know it so well that we can step out in faith. See, what I've discovered in my own life is I grow the fastest when I'm in the midst of crisis. That's when I really pray. That's when I really turn to the scriptures. But there are other times that I grow fast. When I step out in faith, when if God does not come through, I will fail. That's when I pray hard. That's when I read the scriptures. But there's also times when I fast from the things that are distracting me that I spend more time in the scriptures. I spend more time in prayer. See, God is speaking to you. Can you hear him? Do you want to hear him? I want to show you what Jesus could see while he was praying. Let's show him that next picture. This is from the Garden of Gethsemane, and he could look up and see the temple would have been right where that dome is. And this wall is actually a wall built on top of the wall that Jesus would have seen. But this wall was built in the 1500s by a Muslim ruler. And what's fascinating is you might notice that that gate there, it's called the Golden Gate, the beautiful gate, it's sealed shut. Because there's a passage of scripture that says when the Messiah returns, he will enter the city of Jerusalem through the beautiful gate. And so... This ruler actually sealed the gate so the Messiah could not get through. I don't know if he knows the rest of the story, but the Messiah will get through. But what I thought was so fascinating, even though what Jesus could see was, was lower than that, it was the wall right there. He could literally see the gate that he would one day walk through victoriously. But in that moment when he's sweating blood, when he's acknowledging, I will trust you, God, even to the cross, even to the point of giving my life, he could see the temple on the other side of that. See, and he became the temple torn in two for you and me. What I find so fascinating is that he could see what was before him and he still said yes. He entered that town as a suffering servant, but he would return as a victorious Messiah. What is God calling you to do? See, here we say it's no perfect people allowed, and we mean that, but what we mean by that is be honest with where you're at so you can move forward. Maybe there's a struggle you just owned as part of your identity. For me, I've always thought as Bryants, I'm a Bryant, and all Bryants, we have short tempers and we're anxious, and that's just who I am. That's who I'll always be, and until God reminded me that that's not my future, if I 
would trust him. He could free me of anxiety, free me of my anger, that I might have victory so that my kids might one day have victory. Or maybe it's not a struggle for you. Maybe it's a doubt. Do you want to know the answer to what God has for you? Be honest with where you're at so he can give you victory and move you forward. My son Caleb is taking driving lessons. Don't be alarmed. He's in one of those cars that warn us. Stay away, right? They say Austin driving school, but you and I know it means stay away. And yesterday, he did quite well. He drove around with an instructor and only drove through one yard. But other than that, he did quite well. But when I was practicing with him, trying to get him ready for this driving instructor, there was a moment when we were driving and, and he hit the brake when he meant to hit the gas pedal. Another time he hit the gas pedal when he meant to hit the brake. That's worse. But then another time as we were driving, I said, all right, at the stop sign, I want you to turn right. And instead of hitting the, the right turn, he actually grabbed the stick shift and went into reverse. Thank goodness the transmission just didn't fall out of our minivan in that moment. But what I realized in that moment is the same thing the driving instructor realized, and that is he just, he doesn't have enough experience. See, you and I, when we drive, we don't even have to think. We have muscle memory. Turn right, we hit the blinker. We don't put it in reverse, right? We have the experience. We have the muscle memory so that we can have confidence when we're driving. We're not having to think about which way to click the blinker. We don't have to think about those things so we can think about the cars in front of us. So you and I need to develop muscle memory when it comes to prayer, when it comes to the scripture so that we can be ready no matter what might happen around us. Maybe tonight your next step is to do the hard work that's required to grow spiritually. Another thing that I discovered or was reminded of is evidence is in the eye of the beholder. I keep quoting this quote because it made such an impact on me. It's, a, it's by a screenwriter named Andrew Clavin, a novelist. He, in his book, The Great Good Thing, a secular Jew comes to faith in Christ. You see, he kept reading in Western literature the story of Jesus, even if it was called something else. And so he started reading the story of Jesus and eventually, at the age of 50, decides to follow Jesus. But he said this. He said, God is not susceptible to proofs and disproofs. If you believe, the evidence is all around you. If you don't believe, no evidence can be enough. Do you have eyes to see? Or are you in a position where no evidence will ever be enough? It was so fascinating to be in a place like Israel where people, literally three and a half million people from all over the world come every single year. And by the way, it's an incredibly safe place. Of the 3.5 million people, you have to go back several years to find one that didn't make it back. But in the midst of that, three and a half million people from all over the world come because they believe. And yet, we're walking in a place where so few do have faith. In fact, in the Middle East, where so many actually are persecuted because of their faith. You see, you can walk where Jesus walked and it makes no difference in your life. It just gives you dirty feet unless you have eyes to see. That when Jesus walked, it was for you. When Jesus died, it was for you. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was for you and for me. 
See, one of my favorite prayers in the scripture is this moment when Jesus was walking and a man comes up to him, really concerned for his child. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, would you heal my child? And Jesus said, I will heal your child if you believe. And the man says, I do believe. And then I think he realized, I wonder if Jesus can read my mind. Help me with my unbelief. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. One of the most honest prayers in the scripture. Maybe that's your prayer tonight. Maybe you used to have faith. Maybe you experienced the God as the God of miracles. But it seems like it's been so long since that happened. Tonight may be your night. Maybe you said, I've never seen miracles. I, I'm not even sure if there is a God. Maybe your prayer, whether it's to renew your faith or to begin your faith, is simply, God, help me with my unbelief. Give me eyes to see. So once you have eyes to see, you can't stop seeing God everywhere. That becomes your default. But if we're honest, our default is to live most of the day as if there is no God. The final thing that we rediscovered is stereotypes disappear in the context of friendship. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We're not going to go into it right now. I can just tell you, I have a friend from Israel. He plays drums for us tonight. He's a beautiful person. I've met his family, many of whom live in Israel. Amazing, wonderful people. And then I had a chance to spend time with Palestinians. Amazing and lovely people. And they have far more in common than perhaps is evident on the surface. One of the more interesting moments is our team, we considered quite ethnically diverse. There was just five of us, but representing three different ethnic backgrounds. And one of our hosts said, well, you know, to us, you're just all Americans. They saw no distinction between us. And to be honest, the same experience was for us. We couldn't tell, especially among the kids, if they were Jewish, if they were Israeli, if they were Muslim, if they were Christian. They were all born into a difficult situation. They all loved their home and they all love hummus. Every single meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we had hummus. We could not see the distinctions that they could see. And part of what intrigued us about this particular experience is we were invited by an organization called Musalaha. You can look them up online. It's an organization that includes people who follow Jesus. Some are Israeli and some are Palestinian and they actually come together. They bring teenagers together, Jewish kids and Christian kids, and they teach them how to be peacemakers. The camp that we were a part of actually had all Palestinian kids, Muslims and Christians, and the entire experience was called living together, teaching these kids how to get along even when there are differences. When we've come back and people asked about our experience, I've shared with them that of the 10 days we were in Israel, we spent eight nights in the West Bank, only two in Israel. And people have thought that was crazy. See, many trips to Israel don't include towns like Bethlehem because it's other, on the other side of a wall Israel built in the name of security. And there are certainly people who have chosen terrorism, but there are so many more who just want to raise their kids in a safe and loving environment. And there are people like that on both sides of the wall. But here's how complicated it gets. There's a tour guide who said 
Don't go to the West Bank because it's a place under Palestinian control. While we're in the West Bank, we heard, welcome to the West Bank. It's a great place except for it's under Israeli occupation. A lot of our friends and family felt better about the experience when they heard a podcast by Rick Steves who says it's important to visit both Israel and Palestine. If you don't know Rick Steves, Google him. Usually he talks about Europe. But one of the things that was so amazing is the kids that we met were a lot like our kids. They loved ice cream. They threw the wrappers on the ground. They loved Facebook. Our kids like Instagram more, maybe Snapchat. They loved to have fun. One of the things that we were doing with the kids was they were going to teach them the cultural dance called Dabka. And I wasn't sure what that was, so I Googled it, right? And I found an, a video. This is at a normal wedding. These aren't professional dancers. I want to show you this cultural dance called Dabka and what it could be. Let's watch. I've been to some of your weddings. And we do line dancing, but not quite like that. So let me show you the version that our 13 and 14-year-olds in the camp learned. Watch this. And then there was this little boy named Muhammad. He was the one standing in the front. You could see the back of his head. Well, he wanted to get in on the Dabka action. Little Muhammad was there earlier than every other kid and stayed later than every other kid because his dad was the janitor there at the center. And I don't know why, of all the people he could have chosen, for some reason, Mohammed wanted to dance the dabka with me. And so I have a little footage of that. We did this dance for about 30 minutes. Two days in a row. That was really fun, the first three minutes. And I didn't have the heart to tell him, Muhammad, I grew up Baptist. We don't dance. <laughs> but how beautiful it was to be an American pastor and dance with little Muhammad. And I wonder about little Muhammad. Will he grow up and experience peace and love? Will he ever find faith? And in moments like that, I, I can entrust Muhammad to God because I know God is pursuing him. He put him the exact place on this planet and time in history that gives him the best opportunity to find him. But also when I'm overwhelmed with the needs around me, the brokenness in our world, I'm reminded of a passage of scripture when Jesus said, to much is given, much is required. To me, that's an incredible promise that when we have a lot, we have the opportunity to make a big difference. And we have a lot. We've been given so much. Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire stole that line and changed it. With great power comes great responsibility. That's you and me. We have incredible opportunity. See, the world needs us to fully grow in the love of Christ experience the fullness of the peace of Jesus so that we can offer that love and peace to the world around us. We can be a part of helping people who need love and need hope and need faith find it. 
Maybe your next step isn't to go to Israel, although I highly recommend this beautiful place on the planet. Maybe your next step is simply helping us with this clothing drive, helping some people who don't have a home. Or maybe it's inviting friends to come next Sunday. Devon Franklin will be speaking. Or, or maybe it's to invite a coworker out to lunch. What is your next step? What is it that God is calling you to do? See, when we say yes to even the smallest of next step, then we can start to hear his voice more and more clearly. So during this song, I want to invite you to do something. Maybe it's new. I want you just to open your heart and mind to the possibility that God is trying to speak to you, trying to whisper into your heart a next step, something he wants to do in you and through you. If you would, just stand with me. And as the band sings, it could be you just listen to these words and let them roll over you, or maybe it's you sing out as a prayer, a declaration that you are letting go of everything and fully following him. Use this time to hear God's next step for you.